So I have one big idea this morning. I'm going to hit a couple different aspects of it, but the big idea is simply this. Jesus broke the rules. He broke the pattern that people were expecting him to follow. And so someone asked me, with a bit of skepticism in their voice, how many more sermons do you have in this sermon series about men and women? You know, um, if you're visiting with us today or new, we're, we're about, I think, sermon number six into the series about women and men and marriage and singleness. And so I'm going to try, in order to, to keep the sermon series a little bit, like, not going forever, put two ideas to one in today. Um, I, I'm, you know, I've learned, you know, my pappy told me you can beat a dead horse, but you can't make him drink. But, um, so I'm going to try to, to, to not, you know, I get it. You might say, Pastor Mitch, we get the idea in the ancient world, women were second class citizens, they were under oppression, but you know, in the Bible, God sets women free, and, and it's good news for men and women together. And uh, so I'm, I'm not going to dwell on that part, but we, we haven't got to Jesus yet. And all the stuff I've been talking about, it's actually been mostly the Old Testament or somewhat in Paul's letters. So I want to ask the question, how did Jesus break the cultural expectations for relating to women? Like, how, how did he fit into this? And then the, the, you know, so my goal is to, to kill two, two stones with one bird. So um, the second question we're going to do is, what did Jesus say to those for whom marriage had not worked out? And I'm going to start with the story of a particular date night uh, that I had back when Cheryl and I were newly married before kids. We, we heard on the the Christian radio station, that there was a Christian comedian coming to Seacrest Auditorium. This is back in another state. And so, oh, that sounds fun. That's a neat date night, you know, rather than just a movie or something. So we, we went to this, got, you know, even got dressed up a little bit, went to Seacrest, didn't know where it was at, had to find it. And um, I remember parking and, and looking and it's like, wow, there are a lot of, like, we had to park far away, had to walk there, and, and everywhere I looked, I saw people coming, and they were all women. And then, and then I saw buses. I'm like, I never heard of this, her name was Shonda Pierce, I'd never heard of her. And, um, and so, but she seemed to be rather popular, because there were buses. And as I looked and saw the buses, it was only women getting out of the buses, and then we went into the lobby, which was very full, and we went to register, and me and Cheryl, and says, yeah, we, we need tickets. And the woman taking our registration looked at me rather quizzically. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what's going on. It was only when we got to our seats in this, this auditorium that was pretty full, and, and then I realized what was going on when they put up the, the flyer we had never seen that, that advertised this. It's Shauna Pierce having a girl's night out. So I found myself, I think, one of four men in the entire auditorium of this thing. And I'm like, oh, I did not feel like I was in the right place. Like, have you ever felt like you're not sure you belong? 
that was me at that moment. Now, Shonda was very gracious. She acknowledged the few men in the house and welcomed us and said there were, she was glad that we were there. She was very gracious, and it, she was funny. So it was a good show. Um, so I'm glad we went, but it had that experience of wondering, was I in the right place? What I would suggest for our main scripture that, thank you, Matthew, for reading, um, was, was Mary in the right place? Was she where she was supposed to be in the room with all the men? So we're going to kind of get to that. But I want to, leading up to that, I want to talk about in the world of the Bible, it was, it was generally true that women did not get the same education. They, they didn't get formal education. And, and they, they, did, they weren't taught even the, the Bible, the Old Testament Bible, as the men would have been. So one of the rabbis said this. Rabbi Eliezer said, Whoever teaches his daughter Torah, which that's the Old Testament Bible law, whoever teaches his daughter Torah teaches her debauchery. I'm like, wow. It says, the wisdom of a woman is only in her spinning rod. May the words of the Torah be burned and not be delivered to women. Where did he get that? Right? Like, is that, how, how did he get that idea that, that the Bible should not be taught to women. Now, if you've been with us in the sermon series, we have an answer. Where did this Jewish rabbi get the idea women should be taught? What's the answer? Hellenism, right? That how Hellenism, the Greek thought and culture that was very antagonistic women, had infected God's people so that they were thinking wrong. It messed with their minds. That He did not get that from the scriptures. That's the point. He got that from the culture of his day. But so it was true that women weren't included in the, the idea of being taught by a rabbi. The Chosen, I don't know if anyone watches this show, I love it, I think it's great. They highlight that truth in one of the, er, the first seasons when you, you find out like Mary Magdalene, she did not, she was not taught to her, she didn't even know how to read, right? Where all the, the men, even though they were fishermen, like they were working class guys, they knew how to read and they also had gone to Torah school. Right? They had learned the stories of the Bible. For Mary Magdalene, it was all new. So that's, that's a truth that the women were not included. And so for many rabbis, women had no place in learning as a disciple. Jesus was like no other rabbi, like no other teacher. What would have been different about Jesus? What would, what would you have noticed how he did things, how he broke the rules that the rest of the religious environment that, that did. So first thing you would have noticed, Jesus listened to and spoke respectfully about women. One of the prayers that the rabbis taught would basically said for men to pray each day, thank you God that you did not make me a woman. Jesus never did crap like that, right? He spoke respectfully to and about women, referred to one as a daughter of Abraham. Um, uh, one time he prays to his disciples, a poor widow, for giving to God in faith. The, the one uh, woman, the hemorrhaging woman, uh, we, we talked about that story, how he stopped and just listened to her. He listened to women and he spoke respectfully about them. Second thing that, that Jesus did that would have stood out as he stood up for and even protected women against the religious authorities of his day. The key example, of course, is the woman caught in adultery whom the religious leaders were trying to stone to death. 
Jesus intervened, stopped that from happening, and sent her away with a blessing. Right? So he would stand up against the religious leaders for women, even ones who had, had sinned and done wrong. Um, the other one is a woman whose back was bent over, uh, that she came for healing. And not only did he heal her, he, he um, blessed her and chastised the religious leader who said she couldn't, shouldn't do that on Sabbath. Right? So he stood up for women. The third thing is Jesus included women in the community of his followers. So Mark 3, 34, 35, people were looking for Jesus, and his, actually it was his family members, Mother Mary, and they said, well, hey, Jesus, your family's outside looking for you. He says, no, 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 look around. He says, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So, so what does that say? In the community of those following Jesus were brothers sisters and mothers so men women both young and old sisters and mothers were included in the community of disciples and now as we move to the main passage that we read we'll see jesus allowed women to learn as his disciple so luke 10 38 to 42 talks about the story of martha and mary this isn't a great passage uh, that i have taught on a lot in my ministry, like even before I, ever I was a pastor, this is one of the Bible studies we would pull out, and I love to talk about, it. so here's how I ha have taught this, traditionally taught it, and many teachers have taught it, is you talk about Martha and Mary as two very different sisters, right? Martha is the doer, she's the one, you know, wants everything perfect, wants the house arranged, you know, she has Jesus, she's hosting him in her home, and she wants everything to be just right, so she's working really hard, and she's working so hard she gets all worked up. Right? And Mary is the more free-spirited sister who is more relaxed and, and just sitting and listening. And she's taking in the, the teaching of Jesus in the midst of this, this environment where, where all the other male disciples were. And she's just sitting and, and taking in his teachings. And, and so when Martha wants Jesus to tell Mary to come help her, Jesus says, no, Mary's right where she needs to be. She's chosen what is better. And so the traditional lesson I've often taught is that, and, th and this is a good lesson, it, it's, it's about how we can let religious activity get in the way of seeking a true heart relationship with our Lord and Savior. We're meant to be like Mary. She did choose what was better, to sit and hear God's word and what we're doing right now, right? We're, we're stopping our religious activity so that we can just take in Christ and to hear his word. So there's that aspect. I want to approach this passage, though, from a different angle, and that of how did it fit in from the expected social rules for women? When uh, Mary is sitting in the room, sitting at the feet of Jesus, I would suggest that that is the posture of a student to a rabbi. It says she sat at the feet of Jesus. And there's a later Christian author, Irenaeus, who talks about how he sat at the feet of Polycarp. When he was a young man, he sat at the feet of Polycarp, who in turn, Polycarp sat at the feet of the Apostle John, right? That's using a specific technical language of being taught by a teacher, a rabbi. 
And so when Martha bursts in and demands that Jesus right, send Mary out of the room, it may not completely have been because of all the stuff that needed in the kitchen. Maybe her worry was more than just, well, the, 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 the food's going to burn. I would suggest there were other worries. What does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Is it possible that one of the things, maybe even the most thing that Martha was worried about, was the reputation of Jesus. And she was worried that her sister, her free-spirited sister, being in the room would make it look bad for Jesus because it was not respectable for rabbis to have female students. Maybe that was motivating Martha and her bursting into the room to try to get Jesus to send her out. Note what Jesus does. He says, Mary has chosen. He treated Mary as being able to make, as a free moral agent. She could make the choice. In a culture where women generally were subject to the decisions of their fathers or their, their husbands or their brothers. Mary chose, and, and she's capable of making that choice herself. She chose what is better. And I also notice how gentle Jesus is with Martha. Like, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But don't worry. I know what I'm doing. Mary chose what is better. It's going to be okay. You see, Jesus was no mere rabbi. He was the Messiah bringing the kingdom of God. And in his kingdom, things were going to operate different. He was building together a new community of disciples. His kingdom would not operate as the world operates. Women would be included in this community and become disciples just as much as the men would. Um, Women would be joined with men as partners of the gospel to advance the kingdom. They would not just be relegated to the kitchen to women's work. Now, The official 12 apostles were all men. There would be differences in the roles of leadership that women and men might take within the kingdom. But that doesn't mean that women don't have an important role and they weren't fully partners in the work that was happening. Let me read to you uh, an additional passage, Luke 8, 1 to 3. And just pay attention to what's going on. So this is Luke 8. It says, Soon afterward, he went on, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. So that's the 12 apostles. Peter, James, John, Matthew, you know the rest. All right, so the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many, of, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So not only were the women traveling with Jesus in this work of the kingdom, they were actually the ones footing the bill. They were, they were paying for the, the ministry that was taking place as they went about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Can I tell you this? 
Jesus did not let the rules of society stop him from doing the work of the Father. Let me give you one more example of where Jesus broke the rules. And the text is very clear that he broke the rules in how it presents it. So this is time it's in John 4, and it's Jesus talking with a woman of Samaria at a well. And when, when they're at the well and Jesus asks the Samaritan woman, it's just the two of them, for a drink, she is shocked that he's even talking to her, let alone asking to share, you know, her to share with him from her cup. She says, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For it says, Jews have no dealings with S Samaritans. I, I looked up that word, have, have no dealings. It's, it's Jews do not share with in things in the Samaritans. In other words, it's saying they don't, they don't share together in things like drinking cups. Right? So... She's shocked that he's even willing to consider that. Right? Jesus is breaking the rules. He did not let the rules of society stop him from doing the work of the Father. When the disciples see, see them talking, they're, they're kind of surprised. Like, like, it says they were shocked. They didn't know what to say about Jesus because they knew that this was unexpected. But Jesus had a plan. He has this whole conversation, and we can't look at the, the details. We've done that at other times. With this woman from Samaria, he lets her know that it's not just about water. He says, I can give you living water that will well up within you and give you life eternal from God, and you can have that. And when she's skeptical, he has this great conversation with her, and he slowly draws her out. And in the end, to this woman, Jesus reveals, I am the Messiah. In fact, she's the first one, he tells. She's the first one to get the, the explicit um, knowledge that he is the Messiah. And she becomes his messenger. She goes to the rest of the town, and, and, and so... So Jesus is up to something, right? He has a plan for that whole town of people to come to faith in him. Um, so there's one more thing we learn, though, and this is going to help us transition from the part one to part two, the, the two stones I'm trying to kill um, with one bird. Um, you find out in the midst of this, though, this woman has had four, four or five husbands, and actually she's living with someone right now, and they're not married, right? For her, marriage has not worked out very well. She has a past. But Jesus is, like, he doesn't let that stop her because he knows when Jesus comes into our life, the old is gone and the, the new has come, that she would be changed by that relationship, that living water that would come into her life, and that would change everything for her. And and so I, I, wanna, I want us to think about not only did Jesus break the rules about women, but also for those whom marriage has not worked out, what, what is, how did he relate and what's his plan for, for that aspect? And I, I think it was our last sermon a couple weeks ago. We talked about what is God's design for marriage, right? And we talked about how God has an amazing design that is both good for men and women. It's even a picture of the gospel. Uh, Proverbs 18.22. Mar marriage is a good thing. 
He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And if God, God calls you into marriage and leads you to a spouse, rejoice and give thanks. Marriage is a good thing. And in the church, modern churches like ours, we affirm marriage. We affirm those, um, you know, getting, getting married. We, we, we do weddings, things like that. We, uh, I, I delight. Sometimes I'll listen to the sermon later to, to figure out what I said because sometimes I forget. And so I delight when I hear um, the sounds of the little ones, you know, the cries in the background, Wyatt. <clears throat> so, you know, and, but I do I t- take joy in that. And I, I kind of joke, you know, there's more than one way to build a church, right? And I, I, I think our nursery is probably pretty full. So just the thought, if you feel so called. Maybe I know they could probably use more nursery volunteers because I think they're having to get more people in there. And I bet if you let Becky Blaze or Susan Williams know you'd be willing to help out in the nursery, God bless you. Like that would be awesome. Um, so that's a side, side advertisement. Uh, three stones with one bird. Um, so, so what I'm saying though is we do a lot to affirm marriage, to affirm families. In fact, we even had a festival and we said, right, fall family festival. Maybe my timing's off because, right, today I want to think about, okay, marriage is good, but I want to think about singleness for a little bit because marriage is not the ultimate thing. Marriage is good, but it's for this lifetime, right, until death do us part. Our relationship with Christ is eternal. It's, last, it's this lifetime and into the eternal age. The call to follow Jesus is primary. It is the most important decision you make. Not finding a romantic partner or figuring out whether or who to marry. The most important thing that happens in your life is to come to faith in Christ, to know and walk with him. The job of a little girl is not to grow up and find a husband or vice versa. Your job is to get connected to the very one who gave you life and will walk with you into eternity, right? So, so one of the great heroes in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. In fact, we looked at his words when we talked about marriage. Guess what? Paul never got married, right? One of our great heroes in the New Testament, the one who wrote a good chunk of our Bible and the, the, the New Testament never married. And here's... Here, you got to say, here's what he says. He says, I wish, I wish all of you could be as I, I myself am, you know. He says, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. What a hoot, right? So marriage is good, but it's equally good. It equally has a place to remain single. Paul talks about how when you're unencumbered by marriage, you can give yourself more fully to the work and service of God. So God has a design for, for, mar- for, for singleness as well as for marriage. Jesus was one of the only founders of a major religion who was who not married. Right? Jesus himself, our Savior, never got married. This, another way of saying that, singleness is not a curse. Right? In, in our modern world, it could sometimes be we value romantic relationships. We value sex above all other things. Everything revolves around 
around romance, sex, every movie seems to be about that. And it, it seems to be that that's the way they say, well, you'll only be fulfilled if that happens in your life. What I would suggest is Jesus taught it is possible to be a fulfilled human being, never get married, and never have sex. What Jesus called for us was radical in his day, and it's still radical in our day. In one passage, and I'm not going to go into it in depth because when I did, I kept getting rabbit trails, and we would be here forever. But it's, it's, it talks about being made a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of God. So again, we'll, we'll maybe dig into that passage later. But what he was talking about is Jesus was talking about marriage and how God's design for marriage is that a, 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 a man, a husband, really it's both, but a husband would stay faithful to one woman and for all of his life, that that's what's the design for marriage. And his disciples say, What? Like, like they, they just, maybe it's better not to get married. They couldn't imagine, you know, that design of, of limiting yourself to, to one, one wife for your whole marriage. And he says, well, everyone's got his gift. In fact, there's another way to have a gift. And that is some, some will, will abstain from sex and marriage for their whole lives for the sake of the kingdom. Right? He, he's sh shared that as an option. So the design for singleness is to forsake marriage and, and sexual romance for the sake of serving God for a lifetime. And that that could be just as healthy, just as good um, for following God as to go the route of marriage. So the challenge, the call, is sexual faithfulness in marriage to one person for a lifetime or chastity as a single person refusing to sexualize our friendships as the world uh, insists that we need to. What is God's design for those who are single? For, whether it's those who never get married, those who are widows and widowers, those who, whose marriages fell apart for whatever reason, good or bad, um, whether they were left or whether they made some bad decisions. What's God's design for that? Three things. One is that we would be members of the body of Christ. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit knits us together, unites us into one, one incorporates us into the body of Christ where we can and, and are called to find deep and abiding relationships. I've been highlighting this book, uh, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. And she, she talks about some of these issues dealing with singleness. And I found this, this quote to be really helpful. She just phrases it so well. So she says, um, in Confronting Christianity, she says that in a biblical framework, therefore, friendship is not the consolation prize for those who fail to gain romantic love. The Bible is clear that sexual intimacy belongs exclusively to heterosexual marriage. But the one-body reality of gospel partnership best experienced in same-sex friendships is not a lesser thing. We have this on the authority of Jesus himself, who never married, invested deeply in friendship, and declared greater love than no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends." 
So there's no greater love, in a sense, than those kind of deep and abiding friendships, as important as marital love can be. So what's God's design for singleness? One is being members of the body of Christ, united together, where, where we can build friendships, deep and abiding friendships. I hope we're doing that. I hope we're working on that. The second part of the design is being part of a family of believers. Right, I already read this verse where Jesus says, here are my mother and my brothers and sisters. Right, Whoever, whoever's doing God's will, whoever hears the word and comes into this family of, of this community of followers of Christ, believers, they are my mothers and brothers and sisters. So in Christ, you do not travel alone. We are to find relationships and build these relationships within the, the church family. I want to tell you about the, 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 my, the favorite time I ever went to a baseball game. And I, I don't get to go to baseball games. I don't go as much as Nick goes by any means. I like baseball, but I'll never forget this one. And it was because it was Billy's first baseball game he ever got to. So we had a, a family at a previous church the great-grandmother, uh, basically, with almost no notice, ended up being, having to care for her three great-grandkids, uh, Billy and his two younger sisters. And the reason why is her, her daughter had died, and her granddaughter was addicted. And so all of a sudden, and, and she, she was kind of actually new to the church, but, like, she needed the church family to come around like she's a great grandmother and and barely had the energy to to do what she she needed to do and so i i think it was just it was so much fun to like these three kids to kind of get a part of the church and what we we're doing and so uh a group of us were going up to uh, see the cleveland indians play and i said i i basically billy hey why don't you come up with us and so i took them along um, on that game, and it was just so much fun to see him, his first ever baseball game, because his dad had never taken him to one, and, and, and I, I remember one of the guys from the church who wasn't able to go, because he's like a, a business guy, gave me a hundred dollar bill and says, make sure everyone gets nachos, you know, nachos and soda and all that stuff, and it was just a great time, and I'll, I'll never forget that, but that's, that's a sign of how in the church can we be mothers and brothers and sisters, so that we do not need to travel alone in our walk with Christ. The third part of God's design is that we would be fruitful and multiply. So in Genesis 1, it talks about, you know, for, for marriage, for the male and female together, you would what? You know, go and be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, right? So as a, you know, God's design is that in the sense of having children being fruitful and multiply, that can only be done by a married couple, or that was, that's his design, um, a husband and wife. Does that mean if you never get married, you're, you're shut out of that? No. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, as, as part of my people, in another place Jesus said, um, if you're abiding in me and I in whom, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. So, so in Christ, 
we who know him, we will be fruitful and we will multiply. But I think we especially do that together. I become more convinced over my years that it is not the solo evangelist that matters as much as a, a community of people who are sharing Christ together. That that actually works more to the, the multiplication of, of the faith where we're inviting people in. There's a place certainly for the solo evangelist who's, who's really good at, at connecting in those conversations to, to non-church people. And I'm not particularly good at it myself, but I know people who are and I love it. And I think God equips those people. But even then, drawing them in to the, the church and the larger church, that's a, that's a family thing, right? We do that together. And I can't think of a, a better picture than what happened yesterday. Like, I, I, I really did think, is, was, I, was my timing off in planning the sermon series where I, I'm going to talk about, you know, singleness. The day after we have the family fall festival, I'm like, you know, is it? But, but I realized, right, no, my timing was right on. Because what did we do? We came together as a family of believers, and we invited families from all over our community to come and, and be a part of this and see and see, hear about, you know, see, what that, see what's going on. We had at least 60 volunteers, uh, you know, involved in this in all sorts of ways. Like some people were decorating. some Like we each brought our gifts, the, the various abilities as, as a body of Christ together. And I heard at least 100 families went through our, our whole thing. And this place is packed. If you, you know, if, if you helped out with it or bear part of it, thank you so much for what you did. If you didn't get to see it, Buchanan Hall was packed with, with people. And, and so this is what it means when God brings his people together that we could go forth, we could be fruitful and multiply because he works through us as a body of believers. Friends, this is God's design. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that, that Jesus broke the rules. He broke the rules so that we could be included in the family of God and the people of God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, you are at work in our midst. I thank you for what happened yesterday and the many visitors we had that, that came out and, and got to see our church and what's going on. Father, you are good, and we just delight in being a part of what you're doing in our midst and in us. Amen. Well, let's stand, let's sing our closing song, Oh, How Good It Is. And we can sing together as the family of God as we serve him together.